We're going to look at the life of Thomas in this area of doubt. And doubt, it's an interesting subject in the church. Because it's kind of a dirty word in the church, right? It's like, you know, you don't really talk a lot about your doubts. It's almost like antithetical to the thing of faith. Antithetical to the thing uh, that we consider to be, you know, what this is all about. Our faith in Jesus Christ. So a lot of times people just don't want to talk about doubt. It makes us very uncomfortable. And so we, we, we reject it, we shy away from it, and, and you know, we're kind of in fear of it to some degree that someone might pose a doubt that might pose doubts within us, maybe unanswered questions that we might not have resolved. And so we don't like to enter into this conversation about doubt. And so there's a lot of people that stay away from it, and there's a fear of ridicule and judgment in the church if somebody says, hey, I don't know if I really believe all this. I don't know where I stand in some of this stuff. And there's this fear that people are going to be judged and ridiculed within the church. So there's this great deal of negativity around doubt and people who have doubts. And I'm hoping that today we can talk about that a little bit and we can work through that. One pastor actually said uh, that there's really three main ways that we deal with doubt within the church. Uh, number one, we deny it. We kind of like deny that we have doubts or, or we deny that there's things that we don't understand and we just kind of hope that they go away. We're kind of in denial there. Like if I just don't really address these issues and if I don't talk about them, if I don't enter into them, maybe they'll just go away. Maybe, maybe, maybe I won't have to wrestle with these forever. And that's usually not a healthy thing. But then there's a way that in the church we look down on people who have doubts. And I think that's where we get ourselves in trouble. And people feel like, hey, if... If I express my doubts, I'm going to be seen as someone who's weak in my faith. And people within the church are going to look down on me. I might not get chances to serve. I might not get chances to be a part of the ministry in the church because I don't have the faith that is required by leaders or people around me that would say, hey, you're, you're, you're a solid person of faith. And so we're going to, we're going to invite you in to serve. So there's this, there's this whole thing where people are looked down on. If you have doubts. But there's the best way of, of working through it. It's to deal with it. It's to deal with your doubts. Listen, there's a great, there's a lot of mystery in what we believe. There's a lot we don't know. There's a lot that the scriptures even don't tell us about our faith. We know the essentials, but there's details that are a little fuzzy. There's a lot of different opinions and a lot of different perspectives out there. And there's a lot of questions. And guess what? It's okay. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to have doubts. So I did a little research on the issue of doubt in the church. Barna Research, research Institute did a study that showed that 65% of people who consider themselves committed Christians at one time or another had serious doubts about their faith. That's almost 7 out of 10 serious committed, born-again Christians who claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior say that at one point in their lives they had serious doubts about their faith. That's, this is pretty common stuff, right? Fuller Seminary did a study of college adults that said that a large number of college adults actually left the church because of one reason, unexpressed doubts. They had doubts, man. They had questions that they never had answers to. And instead of entering into that and, and trying to resolve those, they just walked away. They just said, hey, you know what? I, I don't know. I don't have answers to these questions. And rather than enter in and feel the, the scorn of the church, 
I'll just, I'll just leave. I'll just walk away. They pointed out that there's shame, that they've been made to feel that there's shame involved in expressing their doubts, and that church is an unsafe place to do so. And you would think like, oh, that's not true. Church is a safe, safe place. Well, I had a recent encounter with a friend of mine who was a pastor who did just, he came to me and said, you know what? I just discovered I don't, I don't believe in this anymore. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Like he was, he was someone that we met like monthly and we'd get together and we'd talk about doctrine and we'd talk about theology and we'd talk about ministry and we'd have all these intimate discussions. I knew his family well. I went and saw his son play football. We, we spent, he's been to all my daughter's weddings. A lot of family events. And he's walking away from his faith and he never had a conversation with me about it. And I'm like, dude, if you were struggling, why didn't you come to me before you decided to walk away? Why didn't we discuss this? He said, I didn't, I honestly, Dan, to be honest with you, I didn't think you were a safe place for me to come. I don't, I didn't think that you'd be someone who would be able to receive this information and have a conversation that wouldn't hurt me. And it broke my heart. But it, had, it, had to, it made me look at myself like, is that, is that the guy that I am? Am I that guy where if someone came and expressed doubts and reservations about what they believe, that I would be so condemning towards them? That my heart would be so hard towards them in their, in their struggles and in their doubts that they would be af- afraid to come and talk to me about it? And I think that in the church, we have to look at that. Because as we're going to see today, even someone who spent time with Jesus, walked with Jesus, had doubts. He had doubts. Doubts are, doubts are just a normal part of the Christian life journey. And then I would submit to you that God uses our doubts to refine our faith. So I don't think that doubts are anything that we really need to run from. It's really only when we don't explore answers to our doubts that sometimes doubts can run down the road and lead us into unbelief, like it did my friend. He never, he never came and he never sought answers. He got on some fringe website and he was convinced that, that Christianity wasn't really true. And instead of exploring it with people that he trusted and loved and people who loved him, he just walked away from it. So I want to say, I highly doubt that you have a doubt that hasn't been doubted by another doubter. I'll say that again. I highly doubt that you have a doubt that hasn't been doubted by another doubter. Listen, ignorance is not bliss in this area of doubt. It's not bliss. It's not. We need to find answers. But if you have doubts, welcome to the club. We all have doubts. There's still things I don't understand. There are still things that in my little brain don't make sense to me. But I know that Jesus is Lord. I know that Jesus is Messiah. I know Jesus is King. And some of those other questions I may never have answers to because God's ways are bigger than our ways. And I have to be okay with some of that. So I hope today that as we unpack these scriptures, hopefully some of these doubts that you wrestle with, you'll understand that, hey, these are things that it's okay for me to wrestle with this, but I'm going to explore answers. Last week, I just want to do a quick review of what Kevin preached. Because it really ties into where we're going today. We, we had Easter Sunday last week. Isn't that cool? We celebrated Easter. We celebrated uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and how beautiful it was that Jesus shows up 
in his resurrected state, and he enters into this room where the disciples are hanging out, and everything's closed up, everything's sealed up, the doors are locked, and here's Jesus. Jesus just shows up. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, man, I'll see you next week, or hey, I, I, he wasn't knocking on the door. He, there was no phone call or text saying, I'm on my way. Have the door ready. He just appears. Jesus just showed up. And isn't it cool that sometimes in our lives, when we need him most, Jesus just shows up. We're not expecting it. We're almost barricading the door from Jesus. And he's like, no, 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 no. You need me. You need me here. You're struggling here. And I'm just going to show up. It's so cool. I'm trying to unpack this a little bit. And Pastor Kevin uh, talked about it last week. Uh, there was a, this is a miracle. This is really a miracle how Jesus showed up. And Hugh Ross, in his book, Beyond the Cosmos, writes about the extra dimensionality of God. And that while we exist in three dimensions, God exists in infinite dimensions. And that he can move in and out of the time-space continuum in dimensions that we have no access to in the physical realm. He explains that maybe that's what ha that was happening here. That Jesus operates in all these infinite dimensions that we don't know about, we don't see, and we can't understand. And he just shows up in this otherworldly dimension. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Listen, we can't even imagine the vastness and the greatness of our God. We can sing about his greatness, but let me tell you, this scripture is clear. We can't even imagine his greatness. We can't imagine his majesty. We can't imagine how beautiful and grand our God is. What a God to be worshipped. So here's the resurrected Jesus, like materializing in physical form into this locked room. And how does Jesus greet them? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. He said it twice in last week's text. And I love how Jesus just deals with these people who are so fearful after they've seen the miracles of Jesus and they've walked with him. And they're just, Jesus is so cool. He's just, he's like, hey, peace be with you. He, what is he saying? He's saying, R-E-L-A-X. Relax. Everything is okay. You're secure. You don't need to be fearful of the Jews. Jesus is here. I'm here. I'm with you. There's no need to fear. Peace be with you. And then Jesus, uh, just in the beauty of what he does, says, hey, guys, let me show you something. I want to show you my hands. I want to show you the scars in my hands. In case you were doubting, by the way, check it out. It's me. Yeah, I know I just materialized in here, and you, you don't need to understand that, but you can touch my hands, and you can touch my side, and you can know that I am real. And then Jesus commissions them commissions the disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then what does he do? He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus imparts the spiritual life into the disciples. And as Pastor Kevin talked about, he doesn't just give them that permission, but he also gives them the Holy Spirit to empower them to live a gospel-centered life to the glory of God. And so it's a beautiful moment in the scriptures where, and we see it in Genesis, now we see it here with Jesus just breathing life into his people. What a beautiful, beautiful thing for us to focus on. But in this moment, something was missing. 
And that something was a someone. And that someone Jesus knew was struggling. He was struggling. And so we're going to read about Thomas today. And we're going to read this whole section that we're going to unpack. Uh, chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. And then we're going to go back and look at it a little bit more in detail. You guys game with that? All right, let's do it. Okay, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may, have, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for what you are demonstrating here in all your greatness and all your grace and all your glory. Lord, speak to us today as we continue to unpack your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verses 30 and 31 have kind of been our base camp, right? We've talked about this. Throughout the preaching and the teaching of the Gospel of John, we keep coming back to this. It's that through this declaration of what Jesus has done, you, that you would believe and you'd have life in his name. That you'd have life in Jesus Christ. And this text, this demonstration of what Jesus did in the life of Thomas is really no different. It's no different. And honestly, I think Thomas just gets a bad rap. We, you know, bad, he gets a bad rap in my opinion because I really, when I think about Thomas, I think about me. I think Thomas is a lot like us. He's a lot like us. And Thomas is an interesting guy. And through my research, I was, I was reminded of John 11, which we studied months ago, where Martha and Mary send word to Jesus that their brother is sick. Lazarus is sick. He's ill. And he's struggling. And so Mary and Martha send word to Jesus and say, hey, you know, my brother is struggling, he's ill, and we're afraid he's going to die. And Jesus says, well, then I'm going to go to Judea. I'm going to check this out. I'm going to go over there. And this is, I, I need to take care of my friends. He loved Lazarus. And his disciples were like, Jesus, you can't go back there. Do you remember the last time you were there? They tried to stone you. They tried to kill you. And he's like, no, I have to go back to Judea. I got to go. I got ministry to do there. And so... He, he says, we'll, we're going to wait a few days because it's, this, is, this illness is going to end in death. It's for God's glory to be revealed that this is happening. We're going to go back. And this is the response of doubting Thomas. Verse 16. So Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This is the guy that we give the bad rap to. I mean, his name, Doubting Thomas, it's almost become like a pejorative, right? Like, we, it's an insult to be called a Doubting Thomas. We think of Doubting Thomas and we're like, well, what an idiot. This guy walked with Jesus. But listen, he had great faith in this moment, said, hey, let us all go. 
Let us give our lives with Jesus. If they're going to kill him, let them kill us too. <laughs> that takes great faith. So as I'm reading this, I'm thinking like, wow, what an amazing story. What an amazing situation here. And this is what it led me to think. Like, you can have great faith and still have doubts. You can still have doubts and still have faith in Jesus Christ. This doesn't disqualify you. So let's look at Thomas in John chapter 20, verses 24 and 25. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the first time, Thomas wasn't there. So the other, other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. I mean, can you imagine how excited they are? Not only have they seen the Lord, but, but Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into them. They had a miraculous moment with the resurrected king. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I mean, it's almost like an emphatic, like, I will never believe unless these things happen the way I say they need to happen. Think about the, that, that like, like, this is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and you're saying, hey, unless you show me in the way I need to be shown, uh-uh, I'm not believing it. So here, you know, the disciples are telling this to Thomas, and Thomas is just like, I'm not buying it. That's hogwash. It's kind of an old school word. I don't believe you. Unless I have the physical evidence that I need, I'm not going to believe. And I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty hardcore. But I think Thomas, if I think about like, Thomas would have loved the show CSI, right? He would have been like, no, I need forensic information. I need to see the autopsy of the body for me to actually believe that this happened. Like, that's, that's where he's at, right? He needs the physical evidence. He needs the forensic confirmation. Let me ask you, do you know people like this? Do you know people who are like, yep, no, this, this all just sounds crazy. This sounds crazy. I don't believe it. I don't care. You can tell me whatever you want. You can show me whatever you want. You know, you can produce whatever kind of evidence you want. I'm not going to believe. But then the question, is that you? Is that you? Are you like, yeah, you know, I'm, I really don't, I don't think this is real. Maybe I'm trying to figure this out. Maybe you're like, you know, battling it out. I don't know. Maybe you're like, I, I don't really, I don't really get it. But let me tell you something. You're not alone. Maybe you're just, you know, you're in your Christian walk, but there's things that, that are nagging, that are nagging in the background. Like, yeah, I believe, but I, there's stuff that just really kind of rattles me over here that shakes me to the core that I need to have answered. And that's, that's not uncommon. It's just not uncommon. So I was at the Desiring God conference a few years ago. And this, this pastor made this illustration. It just kind of stuck with me. I'm going to try my best to kind of repeat what he said. But he actually said something like, just think about how crazy the Christian story is. How preposterous it sounds if you're an outsider. And if someone was to repeat it to you, it, 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 would, see, it, would, it would sound something like this. So, dude, you're, you're telling me you believe this, right? Let me, let, me, let me get this straight. So a virgin gave birth to a guy. And that guy was fully God. But he was also fully man. Yet he was still God. Hmm. He grew up a perfect life and lived a perfect life. And so they killed him. That makes sense. Then he died and he rose again and he just kind of floated away off into heaven. Is that what you believe? And now you're telling me that one day, 
One day, this guy's coming back to get us, dressed in a robe, and riding a white horse. Really, that's what you believe? And, and what's our response? Yeah, that's what we believe. It's crazy. It's a crazy story, but yes, that's what we believe. You want to come? You want to come and be a part of it? it? I mean, think about the reason we have so many doubts because the Christian story is beautiful. It's amazing. It's miraculous. It's supernatural. There's stuff we don't understand, and that's okay. I guess my whole point in this is that I just hope that you guys can embrace your doubts and just say, listen, man, there's things I don't understand, but I'm going to use these points in my life to go deeper with Jesus, not to run from him. That's, that's kind of my, my whole, we can wrap it up now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so here, I want to show you a picture of Jesus of, of, that I used to have hanging in my office. I don't know if any of you have seen this. It's called the Divine Counselor from Harry Anderson. I used to have this in my office, and I imagined myself sitting there and having this conversation with Jesus. I was sitting at my desk, and and Jesus, if you can see him, he's just like having this gentle conversation. This, this businessman is not worried one bit about what Jesus is saying to him. Jesus is gentle. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is imparting this wisdom to him. And I can't tell you how many times I would sit in my office and go, man, I wish Jesus would meet me like that. I wish he would just come down physically and meet me so that I could truly believe in all of this. So that I could really understand it and I could ask him questions and, and some of the stuff that I struggle with, he could answer my doubts and he could come to me in physical form and I could have this, this really just right next to me conversation with Jesus. But that's not the way it works. I can imagine that all day, but that's not how Jesus speaks to us, but he has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I come back to this like, Lord, Scripture, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. We believe, but help us in our unbelief. That, 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 that little prayer was never condemned by Jesus. Jesus didn't look down upon the person who would pray a prayer like that. Lord, I believe, man, but help me in my unbelief. I have some of that going on too. So in the same way that Jesus meets with us, he might not meet with us physically, but he meets with us in our business and in our life and in our everyday coming and going, he meets us in our doubts. And we're going to look at verse 26 and we're going to unpack this a little bit. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. There it's the third time he said it. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand, out, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus meets with Thomas in a place where, G where Thomas needed him to meet him. Now, Jesus didn't talk to Thomas before this, but Jesus knew in his heart that he was struggling. He knew that Thomas was struggling with this issue of unbelief. But I love the way that Jesus approaches Thomas in this. Jesus never condemned Thomas for his doubts. How dare you doubt me, Thomas? You saw me raise Lazarus from the dead. You said you were willing to give your life for me. And now you're here and you're doubting me? How dare you? Who are you to doubt the king of glory? Who are you? That's not Jesus. 
Jesus meets us in our doubts, gently, with compassion, with love. He answered Thomas's doubt, and you'll see that Thomas grew exponentially, spiritually, beautifully through his doubt because of Jesus. Because Jesus met with him in this. So was, Jesus, was, was Thomas honest about his doubts? Yeah, he was honest. Did the disciples condemn him? No, this was his church. Was he condemned in the church? No. The disciples were cool. They didn't say anything. They were like, Thomas, what kind of imbecile are you? We're telling you what we saw. And he's like, no, no, I don't, I don't believe it. I'm not buying it. They don't condemn him. And neither does Jesus. Jesus doesn't condemn him either. So can we be honest about our doubts? Yeah, we can be honest about our doubts. Can we wrestle those out together in community? Yes, we can. That's the best place for it. Wrestle it out with Jesus and with one another. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And is Jesus displeased with us when we have doubts? No. He is not displeased with us. He will meet us if we seek him. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't you give up. You have doubts? Don't give up. Enter into them. Bring those to Jesus. Bring those to the church. Get your doubts answered. Don't give up. Please don't give up. Because doubt is a natural and healthy way of entering in to worship, to figuring out who Jesus is. We get answers and they actually deepen our faith in Christ. I remember struggling with, with my faith and, and like, is this really true? With all the other religions out there, is this really true? And it was what Pastor Kevin had mentioned previously, Messianic Prophecy. And Dr. Peter Stoner, and he wrote that book, Science Speaks. And there's, he, he unpacked eight prophecies being fulfilled. Well, Dr. Peter Stone went back, and this is his math class, actually, because he was a professor in a college, and he said, okay, we're going to look at 48 prophecies, and what is that? That's one to the 148th or 47th power. How it was described to me was that if, if, you, if you got into a rocket ship and blasted off into space with a blindfold, and then you, you were up in space, and there's one red atom in all of the universe, and you opened up the window, and without looking, blindfolded, you'd pick it out of the sky. You'd pick that red atom out, out of the sky, out of the universe, out of space. That's the chances that Jesus is not the Messiah. It was the messianic prophecy that, that really convinced me that this is true. And it was my search to find out whether or not this was true that led me to Dr. Peter Stoner, led me to the evidence that this is true. You want evidence? It's all out there. There are people who have written, this is even in my notes. There are people, listen, I've investigated this to the nth degree, the authenticity of Jesus. People who didn't like him, people who hated him, people right after, who wrote about him. People who are Jewish people that rejected Jesus, that wrote that he, that he was real and that people had worshipped him as God right from the moment that he, he was here. Right from the moment he went and was glorified and went to, went to go to the right hand of the Father. Right from that moment, people started to worship him as God. Secular, non-religious people wrote about that. This is real. This is real. So we have doubts, yes, but we know that Jesus is the king. We know that Jesus is our Lord, that he's our savior. See, Thomas had what we all should have. It's called the crisis of belief. 
And, and in the church setting, we talk about a crisis of belief. It's like, like in, until you have this moment where you go, I, I don't really, I, I got to figure this out for myself. And then you do. And then you feel like Jesus breathe on you, the breathe, the breath of life. And you're like, yes, I believe. He is my Lord and my God. I believe. That's when it becomes real, when you have this crisis of belief and you make it your own. So it's okay to seek answers to the tough questions and the doubts of life without feeling inadequate, without feeling small or insignificant or ignorant. Listen, when we compare ourselves to a holy God, to an omnipotent, omniscient God, we are ignorant. And that's okay because his ways are so much farther above our ways. And what a beautiful thing that is. Think about it. Would you like to worship a God that is so small that you could figure him out in totality? That, that God would be way too small. Listen, I can barely remember what I had for dinner last night. And yet I'm supposed to understand all the mysteries of God? Are you kidding me? There's going to be doubts. Who here knows of the author and the person Josh McDowell? Who's heard of Josh McDowell? A lot of you have heard of Josh McDowell. Well, Josh McDowell is a legendary <laughs> apologist, author, speaker, um, someone who's been just a, a prolific person in the faith of Christianity, who's defended Christianity to the nth degree. He has spoken all over the world, and for decades and decades, he has been on a crusade to defend the faith and, and to, peop to give people a deeper understanding of Christianity and the authenticity of, of Christianity. He's written over 100 books. He's, he's spoken all over the world. I mean, this guy is a champion of the faith. He's an awesome guy. I know people who have actually spoken with him at conferences, and just they're blown away by his intelligence, right? Well, you'd think that this guy would have it all together. But guess what? He had a son. He had a son named Sean who, at 19 years old, pretty much came up to him and said, Dad, I don't know if I believe this. I have too many doubts. Too many unanswered questions. And you think about Josh McDowell being like, he's the guy with all the answers. And yet his son, who has seen him speak and has read his books, is all of a sudden like, Dad, I don't think so. I don't think so. And you would think Josh McDowell, this, this, this champion, would just go, you're embarrassing the family name. I have given my life to defending the faith, to writing these books, to doing all of this, and yet you're, you're kind of rejecting all of that? You would think that that's how Josh McDowell would have responded, but you know what Josh did? Josh said, that's awesome, son. These doubts are going to lead you closer to Jesus. Explore your doubts. Learn from your doubts. Explore what it is that God has for you. Go study what, what this whole thing means. You'll figure it out. Just go figure it out. But you have to make it your own. Your belief can't be my belief. You have to make it your own. So Sean was having a crisis of belief. And his well-known dad said, go for it. I'm not going to condemn you. Go figure it out. And you know what's cool? Sean McDowell is probably a bigger scholar, more scholarly than his dad ever was at this point defending the faith, defending the gospel, defending the authenticity of Christianity and the person of Jesus Christ. He's, he's written books. He's a professor of a university. This guy is a Christian stud. But his dad didn't, didn't throw him out and say, oh, 
I'm going to condemn you for your, your doubts. No, he, he said, enter into that. Enter into that. I, I can say that all of my kids at one point or another have come to me and said, I don't believe this. Listen, we homeschooled our kids. I was a pastor at a church, and my kids don't believe. I mean, or they're just trying to figure it out, whatever. And you can be like, you're having a Vince Lombardi moment, like, what the heck is going on around here? You guys know the Vince Lombardi quote? It doesn't really go like that. But, you know, I changed the word in there. But what the heck is going on around here? How can that happen in my house? And for some reason, by the grace of God alone, he gave me a gentle spirit towards my kids and all of it. So that's okay. We'll figure it out. I remember once uh, my daughter Hannah just go, yeah, it, is, it would always happen like right at the end. And sometimes you're like, oh, are you just trying to stay awake because you don't want to go to bed? You know, we read them a story, we pray, and we're like, good night. Oh, daddy, I have a question. I don't understand the Trinity. You know? And you're like, oh, she's doubting the Trinity at like 8 o'clock at night right at bedtime. And I'm like, that's awesome. Good night. And uh, <laughs> no, but I remember just going, honey, neither do I. I don't understand the Trinity either. And that's okay. That's okay because Jesus still loves us. He still died for our sins. He's still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we love him and we worship him. And we'll try to figure out the Trinity. But yeah, it's hard. Some of this stuff is just hard to understand. So if you have an internal conflict in your faith, that might be a gift. God might be giving you that as a gift, like a stirring within you to go, man, I need to figure this out because he might want to take you to a really beautiful, deep place with him that you're not there now. But if you had this question resolved, you'd go into this place with him in a deep, deep, beautiful place. So explore that. Explore that. And we'll see that Jesus met with Thomas to resolve his deepest, most internal conflict. Let's look how Thomas responded. In verse 28, Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. What a beautiful thing. I mean, just, just eight days later, he's like, Yeah, if I don't see this, ain't no way. And then Jesus shows up in like this little interaction. He's like, My Lord and my God. There you are in all your glory. I see you and I worship you as my Lord, my Master, and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. You know, it's harder for us because we have not seen Jesus face to face. It is harder for us. But Jesus met Thomas right where he was struggling. And, and Thomas has this beautiful emotional response because all of his doubts were answered. It kind of everything fell into place as to who Jesus was. He had all, everything that he needed, all the evidence was there. But we don't know something. We don't know if Thomas, in his Christian journey, ever doubted anything else about his faith. We don't know if he ever had any questions that weren't answered. We don't know. But we do know this, that history and tradition teaches us Thomas died for it. By the sword, Thomas died for Jesus. Just as he said in John 11, let's go with him and give our lives along with Jesus. He went and gave his life for Jesus because of his faith. Because he believed. So remember, Jesus doesn't save you based on the greatness of your faith. He saves you based on the greatness of his grace. It's not you. If you have mustard seed-like faith with lots of doubts, Jesus still saves you. 
You're not disqualified because you have doubts. Don't run from them. Don't hide them. Don't mask them. Bring them forward. Bring them out. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to the scriptures. Bring them to people that you trust, that you know love you and care about you, who can walk alongside of you through your doubts. This isn't a bad word. Doubt is not a bad word in the church. It's a natural, natural thing. And God can use it to grow you and to send you into the places you've never, ever dreamed of with him. So embrace your doubts as an opportunity. An opportunity to worship God like you've never worshipped him before. And to go in places you've never gone with him before. Embrace them. So I'd like to invite the band back up. So as we finish today, we return to our base text. Verses 30 and 31. And everything really that we have discussed today points to this. Like this whole interaction between Thomas and Jesus was ultimately because Jesus cared for his soul. Jesus wanted to save Thomas. Jesus cares for your soul. He doesn't just care about you like physically and all of that, like your everyday. Yeah, he cares about that, but he cares for your soul. He cares about you in the deep places. He cares for you more than you care about yourself. Verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thomas found life in his name. Jesus showed up. Jesus showed off. Thomas trusted in him. And he found that he had life in his name. I'm going to ask you today, if you don't know that you don't know that you don't know that Jesus is Lord, if you haven't trusted in him, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, if you haven't declared that he is my Lord and my God because of your doubts or because of whatever it is in your life, because you're unsure, I'm going to ask you to trust in him today. I'm going to ask you to put your faith in him. Say yes to Jesus. Listen, Thomas declared, my Lord and my God. It was something that Jesus did in him. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not you. It's Jesus. And this is just his response. You're my Lord. You're my God. You're the one whom I trust. I put my life in your hands. And you can do that today. In the quietness of your heart between you and Jesus. Just say, Lord, you're my God. You are my Lord and you're my God. I put my trust in you. I put my faith in you. I put my life in you. I'm willing to die for you. And he will receive you. Jesus isn't opposed to you, even in your doubts. He's welcoming you home, even in the midst of your doubts and your questions. Come to me. Come to me. He wants to breathe life into you. That's our Jesus. He's gentle. He's lowly. He's compassionate, and he loves you right where you are. Right where you are. Don't give up. Don't you give up. The rest of us are going to celebrate, as Pastor Kevin talked about. We're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. We're going to have these beautiful opportunities with people around us, our family and our friends and our loved ones who don't know Jesus, who are antithetical to the things of Christ. And we're going to have opportunities to talk to the deniers and the skeptics and the hardcore doubters. This week, you're going to have opportunities. 
I'm going to ask you to engage these people in the gospel. They're worth it. They're worth it. And their doubts, God can handle that. You just show up with Jesus. You show up with the gospel. You explain to them that even in the midst of their doubts, Jesus loves them. That Jesus died for them. He was buried and he was resurrected on the third day to bring them new life. That they might have life in his name. We're commissioned to do that. That's the mission. That's the great commission. That we'd go make disciples. We preach the gospel to all of creation. Will you do that? Will you start a spiritual conversation and let God take over? And when they start asking you questions, they present their doubts, you introduce them to the one who loves them. Remember what it says in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. And always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for people who are doubting, who are skeptics, who are critics. There's no condemnation. Not from us. We leave that to Jesus. We just expose them to Jesus, the lover of their souls, the one who died for them, the one who wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance, the one who said, if you believe in me, you'll never perish. You'll have everlasting life. So that's what we do. So we speak the gospel in the midst of all of it, and we lead them to the cross. We just keep pointing to the cross. You don't have to have all the answers. Jesus has all the answers. You just keep pointing them to Jesus. It's the cross of Christ. He's the one. He's the one with all the answers. He's our king. He's our Messiah. He's the one who knows it all. He's the omniscient one, not us. So we're going to stand, if you would. And I'd like to pray. And then I'd like to sing in thankfulness to Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that through what you've done, Lord, we can have life in you. We thank you for the example that you set here in Scripture and that John recorded this, Lord, that so we could understand that even in our deepest doubts, Lord, that you were there and that you don't cast us aside, you don't abandon us, you don't look at us and say, you're not worth it. You died for me, you died for us, Lord. You died for the sins of the world. Even the doubters. Even the skeptics, Lord, you died for all of us. And so, Lord, we are thankful. Beyond words, Lord, we are thankful for what you've done for us. And we are grateful. And in this holiday season, and as we really contemplate what it is that we have in our families and the blessings of growing in Christ, the blessings of the gospel, Lord, we are blown away by your goodness. We're blown away, Lord, by your grace and your mercy and your love in our lives. Help us, Lord, to enter into that even in the midst of the confusion and the doubts and the questions, Lord. Help us just to worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord, and to seek answers. 
to fall more deeply in love with you, Lord, day by day, as we know you more and become more like you. We need you, Jesus, and we are grateful for the gospel. We are grateful for you, Lord. We love you so much, Lord. Receive this song as an offering of praise. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.